Welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I bring you some of the greatest talent in the Central Florida arts community. Join us as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show, episode by episode. Hello again. Welcome back. It's another week, another Wednesday, another show. Thank you for downloading and for pressing play. We have a great, great show this week, and I'm going to start right off by giving you a warning that I had to split this episode into a two-parter. That's because it's the premiere of season six, and you know When I have the season premiere, Matthew Arder is my guest, and we like to deep dive and talk a lot about pop culture and what's going on and sort of check in at the beginning of each season. And there are some deep dives here, kids. Some some deep, we done deep doven here. And with that, the raw footage turned out really long, and I thought, nope, I, I can't squeeze all this into one episode, so we're divvying it up into two. So today, you are going to hear us talk about pop culture from 1984, and then synopsize the first half of Season 6, Episode 1, The Summer of 84. And the original air date was September 26th of 1984. I have nothing more to say. I want to get right to it and jump right on in. Let's face the facts with Matthew Arder. Well, Matthew Arder. Oh my God. Of all people. I kind of liked the in the different strokes episode, I kind of liked being announced and having theme music, David. I feel like... You're, wait a minute, you're talking about the TV Talkaholics episode we just did for the Patreon? Yeah. Where you you basically forced me to introduce you and give you a theme song. Forced is a strong word. Is it a a, a, a hearty suggestion? <laughs> uh, okay, so you you would like me to introduce you? I mean, everybody else of... gets this Oprah fucking welcome, like everybody well, else, and I get well, ugh, Matthew. <laughs> I do not. Great way to start. Anyway, it's too late now. It's too late now. They know I'm here. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen. (sighs) (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, all the way from southeast or no, is it southwest? Which way is it southwest? Ladies and gentlemen, all the way from southwest central Florida. The one and only entertainment powerhouse, Matthew Arder! Oh my gosh. And it's a hey, you! You! Look at you! (laughs) Ah, remain seated, everyone. Please. (laughs) Don't stand up for me. Yeah. I think there, it sounds was... a little more glamorous also, not to give you a note right off the bat, but it sounds oh, a little wow. more, more glamorous if you say, um, live from Lake Buena Vista, Florida, I feel like. <laughs> more okay. than South so to do it West again? Central. No, I'm just in the future, <laughs> you know, I don't want to waste anybody's time because this... In the future, okay. 
Yeah, that sound cue just cost me $20,000, by the way. <laughs> Matthew Arter, I'm so happy to see you. It's the summer of 84. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is the season premiere of season six. Can you believe, doesn't it seem like we were just doing the pilot? No, it doesn't. That seems like a hundred years ago. <laughs> but I mean, Yeah, I mean, pandemic aside, you know, it's like, uh, to me, I feel like we were, I mean, granted, I was just listening to it for the clip show. Maybe that's where my brain is going. I was uh, recently reacquainted with it. But I mean, we're two years into this already. I remember and- in the pilot, I do remember thinking it's going to be forever till we get to the good seasons. And I <laughs> am going to say, I'm going to let just, me know when we get there. We are here, David. Welcome to <laughs> it. This season has some of the best facts of life episodes in the history of facts of life. And okay. this is one of them. Okay. I will take your word for it because uh, the the promises of all the amazingness of season five as the first Edna's Edibles season. Yeah, that was just I'm... once you get past Edna's Edibles. I get it. But you had to give them that season to figure out what they were going to do. And in season six, they figured it out. Okay. It is, I, I told you, I am so jealous of the people that get to do your podcast this season because there's the pizza episode where joe comes Mm -hmm. up with pizza there's the cruising episode that takes place in the car Mm -hmm. and such a great a and b story in a car oh god (laughs) and the episode where they are at the radio station all night and they have to fill the air um the episode where tootie plays eleanor roosevelt and by oh. the way, that is when Miss What's Your Pussy from the season five, Miss Miss Ames, Miss Ames comes back in that. Yeah, when I mean, Miss Ames comes back in a different character. Yes, the episode where they uh, save the drive-in. Oh, <laughs> such good episodes! I'm uh, so glad you're so excited because, wow! But you know um, that means I'm going to be really listening with judgmental ears because oh, if you boy. have somebody on one of those episodes it's like who's the lady with the red hair i'm gonna be throwing my podcast listener out the goddamn window <laughs> but there's also oh my god i forgot uh the episode where they go to florida on spring break and joe falls in love with that rock singer <laughs> and Richard on. Mall, right? Don't they walk? Well, they're that's they're like season, stink- that's season nine. Oh, that's oh, excuse me, Jesus. They go to Malibu. That's in Malibu. Sit yeah. down. Oh, this man. is the one where <laughs> this is one where Joe falls in love with the guy because they have the same mullet, right? Yes, and they can share mm-hmm. clothes. <laughs> oh. Well. So many things to look forward to in season six. More, uh, more. Better episodes, I hope, than season yes. five. More Matthew to share it with me <laughs> along the way. So before we get started, Matthew, yeah. a little extra thing I just wanted to stick on in here is... Uh, I've been you know, waiting for this moment. <laughs> what do you want to stick we, in here? Um, I, I, no, I, I, wasn't, mm. I wasn't talking about that. Mm. Uh, but uh, you know our listener, Michelle B., we've had her on the show on the... Uh, 
the Tutti Frutti clip show? I believe she referred to me as delicious. So, Michelle B., we just wanted to give you an extra special shout-out. And for those wondering, why are we giving an extra special shout-out to Michelle B.? Well, we're not going to tell you, but she knows, she knows why. why. <laughs> now, um, it's the start of a season, so... <laughs> I'm buzzing! And so with the start of the new season, we always have Matthew here with me. And God, I wish you were here with me with me. It sucks. This is our first one. We have to do it by Zoom. That sucks. But anywho, you always come well prepared. You have done a lot of prepping. Yes. (laughs) Didn't you this time? You say you love to research and all that stuff. You said you always come well prepared. (laughs) I was waiting to hear. I was like, how do I come, David? Um, (laughs) I'm going to be honest with you. I focused a little bit more on entertainment because there are just, I got like, David, Thriller came up again. Wait a minute. What? So I don't trust the internet anymore. I don't trust it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, we we (laughs) fucked up by saying that Thriller came out in 82. Yeah. And then it turns out that in 1983, it's like the video Thriller came out. The album Thriller came out in 82. Yeah. What's happening in 84? It just, it came up like saying like, because it was the first American music or it was the first MTV Music Awards. Okay. And Thriller was up for best video. Okay, well, no, no, that then that kind of makes sense. Two years after the song came out? <laughs> but no, 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 the video. Remember, the video came out in 83. So in 84 would have been when they would be doing... It's just, um, it's just funny yeah, that it came no, no. up again. It's like, it is. When, it's... when the fuck did that fucking song come out? <laughs> How do you release a song three, over two years three or three times. years? <laughs> but maybe that's why we're still talking about it. Maybe the genius yes. of Michael Jackson. But like yeah. other things, like 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 I'll tell you, one of the toys of 1984 was ColecoVision console. Oh, well, I looked it up, and it was like everything I looked up said that ColecoVision came out in '82. Oh, what? So I I don't trust anything anymore. Interesting. Well, um, what other things did you find since we are talking about 1984? So the Apple computer came out. The price, David, $2,500. Which is going to come up this season because Joe has an episode where she has a conversation with the computer and she says, what did you cost, $60,000 or something like that? (laughs) And, uh, And he's like, plus tax, the computer says. Um, uh, wow. Band-Aid happened in 1984, David. It's Band-Aid. the people that sang, do they know it's Christmas? Oh. Because suddenly in 1984, America discovered Ethiopia. Oh, that's right. Don't worry. Next year, we'll talk about We Are the World. Yeah, <clears throat> because Band-Aid begot uh, Farm Aid and then... Live Aid? Then there was Live Aid? Comic Relief. Well, and AIDS was discovered in 1984, so probably not a great marketing for the Band-Aid no. people. <laughs> no. But AIDS had been around since 81. Was it 84 when they first named it and figured out? Yeah, Because before it was GRID. 
something gay related immune deficiency and then they went why are straight people getting it Mm. Uh so um the 1984 olympics john williams wrote um the olympic theme that year wow do you know the olympic theme david by john williams now that you say it i i was thinking to myself i'm going olympics it is the olympics it is the olympics here they are now yeah that's it yeah that's it too that's the other version the second movement yeah um and that's the year that we we met the wonderful mary lou retton oh Bless. The darling of the 84 Olympics. Oh my God. She was so perky. She was <laughs> so, so perky. And now How she's many... doing like adult diaper commercials or, or like <laughs> commercials for um, bone loss drugs. Wow. <clears throat> You're welcome, world. <laughs> what else was going on in the world in 1984? It was an election year, was it not? Yeah, but didn't we talk about that last year? We, oh, that's right. We did, because that was the year that uh, incumbent Ronald Reagan won uh, the election. Defeated, it was the. Or, it no, was uh, the, Walter Mondale he, and Ger- yeah. Geraldine Ferraro who were defeated. And uh, and it wasn't as crushing a defeat as we described it in yeah. the electoral votes. Yeah, it was significant. Yeah. I think I think they barely got into double digits uh, for Mondale Ferraro. But if you look at the popular vote, it was like 60, 40. Yeah. Which made me feel better because it's like, yeah, the, Reagan was a popular president, but there was a lot of people who didn't like him, too. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, in the musical world, David, like I said, the MTV Music Awards happened for the first time. That's when we got Madonna's um, Like a Virgin performance. This isn't the same as the VMAs, is it? Yeah. It's that, like a it precursor the... to it? Alex Trebek joined Jeopardy! Oh, wow. Yeah. Have you ever watched uh, his old stuff, like Double Bear on um, Amazon? No. He's so cute. Like in the oh, 70s. Alex Trebek? Yeah. He's an attractive man. He was never not attractive, I don't think. Michael Jackson's hair caught on fire, David. David. Oh, no. <laughs> the filming of a Pepsi commercial. Thank you, Moira Rose. Do you want to know what my favorite thing that happened in 1984 what is, was, David? What is your favorite thing, Matthew? I'm going to call it by its actual name and see if you can figure it out. It was a fast food restaurant's ad- advertising campaign that was actually called Fluffy Bun. Fluffy Bun. Is that the Where's the Beef for Wendy's? No more calls. We have a winner. Yes! The campaign was called Fluffy Bun because it was going to describe how large the bun was. And they did not think Where's the Beef was going to catch (laughs) on in the way that it did. (laughs) That's right. And that, of course, brought into the international zeitgeist pantheon of entertainment the wonderful (laughs) Clara Peller. This woman became a star, <laughs> people. And it was it was because it was so honest. There was such a sense of, I'm not even sure that's an actress. They didn't just pull some old lady off the street and say, here, yell this line. 
It begot t-shirts that men wore with an arrow pointing downward on it that said, here's the beef. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Classy. Steve Gutenberg is wearing one in the first Police Academy movie, and it might have turned me on a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Gutenberg. Woof. In Cocoon. Stick it in. The chest. The, if you mm. look up pictures of Steve, I'll post some on the website. Steve Gutenberg in his prime. What happened? Stop the music. What happened? And he's still a good-looking guy. But, but I mean, he should have been a George Clooney for Christ's sake. Uh, yeah. Because he, he wasn't think... like he wasn't like Dolph Lundgren perfection. Nineteen eighty-four. He was relatable. Yeah. He was the Jennifer Grey. He was like the Paul Rudd. You know yeah. what I mean? Like so and sexy, but so had... attainable and nice. And, I mean. The uh, body, the pecs of death. I want to put on my hiking gear and climb the pectorals of Steve Gutenberg from 1982 to 1987. With my prayers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. God, he was so... As a young teen, I remember going... I, I remember thinking, I like looking at that, and I'm not sure why. Yeah. That hairy chest, that hairy belly. Uh, I believe he he posed for Playgirl as well. I don't think he showed full peen. But he showed enough for little Matthew Arter. I will tell you that. (laughs) I wanted to be Guten Hisberg like nobody's business. (laughs) And Guten it real Guten. Yeah, but I don't think he showed full cock and balls. I don't think it was the full Now I have more research to do when this is over. (laughs) <laughs> I'll post pictures on the website. I will take care of that. And David in Hollywood. Yes. It's time. Do, 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 do. No, that's mm-hmm. not it. That's not it. Down, 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 down. Five top five answers on the board, David. Oh, ding. Da, 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 da. Ba-da-ba. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ba-da-ba. I love that you're clapping on the two and the four. Oh, you're, you're welcome. I took lessons from a black person. <laughs> Top five answers on the board since we're playing that um, family feud. That means I, I get to kiss you. Um, oh, stop. What? Richard, you're gross. <laughs> Richard, you smoke three packs yeah. of cigarettes between every commercial. Why are you putting yeah. your fucking lips on my face? On my 15-year-old daughter's face. <laughs> She's getting drunk, just breathing you in. Yeah. <laughs> the the gin coming off the whiskey coming out of his pores. Uh, if I mean, she, if there's ever a, a game show host that also looks like you could just unconscious prop him up in the corner of any pub in London and he would look perfectly at home. <laughs> really. And nobody and no girl would want him to kiss her. No, Ew. it was just because he was yeah. fucking Richard Dawson on Family Fucking Feud. I mean, he did have a little bit of charm. Oh. He was a little bit funny on the match game. But he was British. He, I'm not de- denying his charm, but yeah. what a troll. Anyway, <laughs> top five answers on the board since we're playing oh, Family shit. Feud. I get to kiss you. It is going to taste a little bit like Virginia Slims and apple vodka. Okay. <laughs> no, so just like the real, yeah, this is like 
being there. I wanted. I'm a method actor, David. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to give you full Richard Dawson experience. <laughs> okay. Top five answers on the board. We asked. We didn't ask. We looked it up. Uh huh. Um, these were the top five grossing movies in oh, 1984. Fuck. David, I didn't look this up because I, I knew you would that's, be bringing that's this. Why I so wanted shit. to play this with you. Um, 1984, mm-hmm. Dirty Dancing. Incorrect. <clears throat> Not in the top okay. five. I only have the top five written down. The top five. Um, but uh, Dirty Dancing was like 88, dude. No. Yeah. Go ahead, look it up because I know it's gonna kill you. Echo, what year did Dirty Dancing come out? August 21st, 1987. 87, so there. Yeah. <laughs> Closer than 84. <laughs> um, uh, 84. 84. Romancing the Stone? How dare you. Ah, uh, David, you have yet to get one. I will at least accept I... one. Fuck. And I, I'm trying to think. Like, 84 was like the Spiel... Like, Spielberg had E.T. in 82. So, like... Uh, okay, I know. I know that like color purple and oh, oh, Ghostbusters! Ding, 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 ding! Ah, I'm so excited! I I did no research. I shit you not. I did not look this up. That was ah. Oh. Okay, I'm gonna give you the la- the uh, that is Ghostbusters is number two. Number two. Okay. okay. Give me give me the name of an actor. Give me the name of an actor, and maybe you see if I can get the name. I'm gonna give you a hint. Not an actor, because okay. it would give all of them away. <laughs> okay. Okay, number five. Wax on, wax off. The Karate Kid. We were introduced to the Lovely. little precious 40-year-old Ralph Macchio. No, he's like, he he is like 22 in the movie, playing a 16-year-old. Like, he is absolutely older. He's not 40, though. And... Uh, he's, I think, what is he, in his 60s or 70s now? And he still doesn't look like he's 40. Yeah. He's 59. 59. Okay, yeah. I was going to say, he's older than I am. So he was born, oh my God, today's his birthday. <laughs> what? He turns 59 today, November 4th. Oh my God. Um, happy birthday, Ralph Macchio. I know you're listening. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that blonde guy, William, um. William Zabka from Karate yeah. Kid, he could get it. I would let him. Yeah. <laughs> I'd let him sweep my leg. Yeah, that's that's he's one of the hot villains from from that from all the villain roles he played in the eighties. Okay, let's continue with playing the game. Other other movie clues, movie clues. Number four, don't feed it after midnight. Gremlins, mm-hmm. Joe Dante's wonderful, amazing box office smash. Okay, yeah. and here's the sad thing: we have watched both of those movies recently in this house, mm. and you know I don't watch movies without going. What year did this come out? Mm-hmm. What, you know, so you'd think I would have known this, but okay. What's number three? Um, this is a hint that only I can give to you. I can only give oh, it dear. to you. <laughs> I'm scared. Kate Capshaw singing "Anything Goes" in Mandarin. Oh, that would be <laughs> the only reason to watch Indiana Jones and, and the, the Temple, Temple of, of Doom. Doom. Yes. <laughs> and what was the number? Okay, so 84. Fuck. The number one. Okay, so we've got, these are big movies. Yeah. Karate Kid, mm-hmm. Indiana Jones and the Temple of, uh, Karate Kid, Gremlins. Gremlins, Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. So 1984, Beverly Hills Cop. No, it's too late for that, isn't it? Is it Beverly Hills Cop? It is Beverly Hills Cop, David. Woo! 
I am the god of the movies! You win nothing. <laughs> and you're not here and you can't kiss me. That's so, it's such a shame. I'm so sorry. I about can't, that. like, like Bob Barker used to do when you got it right on the nose, he used to make you reach into his pocket and pull out a hundred dollars. <laughs> Remember that? Remember that? Not You'd have to reach into all, his Bob. pocket. <laughs> reach into my pocket for a hundred dollars. <laughs> I will tell you that my time in LA, I reached into several pockets for a lot less. If you know what I mean. Just... <laughs> oh <laughs> my goodness. Stoked. Anything else in your research to share? Um, Real quick, the top five um, billboard songs. Oh yes, I would love it. I will never, ever, um, ever guess these. I might recognize no. two of them. And the only thing I can sing from all of them is the um, is the title of it. Okay. So the first I will. One? Shall I sing them as Judy Garland? I think. Uh, these do it. Let's do it. Songs sing, them as, sing them as Judy Garland. <laughs> well, I'm a little hoarse. Just, I don't know if I should. It's something begging. Um, take a look at me now. Okay. It's against all odds by the wonderful. Oh, okay. By the wonderful Phil Collins. Phil Collins. Yeah. I I know that that song exists, and if you play it for me, I would say that is the yep, only part that... you can sing. Take a look at me now. <laughs> um, number four. Yes, Judy. What is number two? Oh, number, I'm sorry, that was number five. Foot loose, cut loose, come on and turn me loose. <laughs> Been working so hard, I'm punching my card. Eight hours for what? Oh, tell me what I got. Number three, um... <clears throat> Say, say, say what you want. That's all. But I'm not the one who really loves you. The wonderful Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson. That was huge. Didn't he put out Ebony and Ivory with Stevie Wonder? Is that Paul McCartney? Ebony and Ivory lived Together in perfect harmony. Echo, who sang Ebony and Ivory? Paul McCartney and Steve. Echo, stop. You're right. If we dated, I have a feeling it would get tiresome you refusing to admit when I'm right without checking. <laughs> I um, always admit you're right, except when I don't. <laughs> After you check and verify. <laughs> Your need to verify my veracity, I think, would eventually cause us to break up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I'm a, I'm a facts-based person, yeah. Matthew. Number two, what's love got to do? Got to do with it? What's love but a second-hand emotion? That's amazing. The wonderful Tina Turner. Yeah. I'm I'm doing great here. I know more than I thought I would. And number one, I can't do it as Judy. When doves cry. Oh, um, 
maybe I'm just like my mother. She's never satisfied. Why do they scream at each other? This is what it sounds like when doves cry. Some other fun ones just to throw out there. Girls just want to have fun. 99 Luff Balloons. Um, <gasps> Karma Chameleon. Um, oh, oh. And um, Hello from Lionel Richie. Great, great year for music that year. And apparently Thriller. And, and apparently also Thriller. <laughs> Three years running, people. <laughs> It, it was the incumbent, I think, so uh, it has to be voted out by a two-thirds majority or something. I don't know. What else you got for me? Anything else? That is it. That is all I got. Okay. Matthew, you know I love all of the research that you do for the show, mm-hmm. and uh, we've been talking for a while, and I've loved every minute of it, mm-hmm. but... I'm going to hold off on the TV research. Let's do that at the uh, commercial break so that we can begin synopsizing this gem of an episode. Yes. Is it? So, Matthew, the order of business for this episode is we need to actually synopsize season six, episode one, called The Summer of 84, which originally aired... On September 26th of 1984, and it was the premiere for season six, written by Linda Marsh and Margie Peters, and directed by the wonderful Asad Kelada. Now, before we go on here, I just want to say Asad Kelada has been the sort of resident director of this show for a couple of years now, only... A handful of the last two or three seasons are shows he did not direct. Well, uh, at this point, now in season six, this is the first of only eight episodes that he will direct. And by the middle of the season, he's gone, not to return because he will have already started working on Who's the Boss, which he joins mid-first season and pretty much sticks around and does most, if not all, of the remaining Who's the Bosses, with a couple of uh, Valerie and family ties in there. Hmm. And this is the season where we also start to see John Boab, B-O-W-A-B, who would go on to do 91 episodes of the show, which is the most of any director. Asad Kalada will have only done 77 by the time we see him depart. That is why when we mentioned the director for the show to Diana Eden, she mentioned, she said John Boab. Yeah. Not. That's right. Yeah. She never dealt with Asad Kalada. He was long gone. Yeah. And uh, our close personal friend, Diana Eden. Mm-hmm. After John Boab's 91 episodes and Asad Kalada's 77 episodes, the most any one person directed after that was six. <laughs> and all the rest were one-offs. Oh. So, yeah. So this is hmm. a, you know, clearly the show, uh, once they click into Mr. Boab, they, they like him and they stick with it. And he's there for pretty much the rest of the run. But we're not there yet. We still have Mr. Kelada handling things. Uh, now, you told me something that was both shocking and exciting and disappointing and many other emotions that this season is on the Roku channel. Yes. I didn't know. I went and looked. I was like, last I knew they were not. You, and then you, I look and season five. 
wife has been there. You, you, I'm like, once again, audience, dear listeners, I told him it was on Roku, that I had watched it on Roku. He had to verify that it was actually on Roku. <laughs> it's, this is it's how little he that. thinks of me. <laughs> Stop. This idiot. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm visual. <laughs> I'm not verbal. I have to see it. So that's great news because that means I can share the full-length episodes. I will include the Roku app links when I include the link to the next episode in the show notes. I've only been including the daily motion, but that's great because now everybody listening can watch the full-length episodes, not just the syndicated versions, and I don't have to take an extra 45 minutes during my podcast to talk about the three minutes that were cut out of the episode. And the world takes a collective sigh of relief. (laughs) Tell me about it. Oh, and we're doing it today, by the way, so... (laughs) Prepare ye, honey. So that is good news, but I was just so surprised because when I went to um when I went to believing Matthew Arter verify, mm-hmm. I was like, wait a minute, four, five, and six, all three seasons are there. There was a time it was like one, two, and seven. It's like they will not put more than three seasons in it at a time. Yeah. So we're still at that same problem of Right to your Congress people now, once they all start their, their jobs next year, the new the new Congress that comes in, write to your Congress people and get one streaming service to carry all nine seasons of the Facts of Life. Okay? Yep. Thank you. Matthew, you know I was very excited, as were you, about all the new clips and the opening theme song. Do you remember watching these at the beginning of every season and going, oh, look at that. Oh, look at how different she looks. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at this. Yes. And I'm so excited because later on, season six is in a lot of the future ones because yeah. all the episodes are so good. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a lot of stuff coming up. And, and that was always fun when you'd be watching the show, like episode five or episode six, and you go, oh, that's the clip that I saw in the opening theme. That's where that came from. Yes. I'm a dork. Yeah. Especially the one, what's the one that sticks out in your head? For me, it's the one with Joe holding up the Merry Wives of Windsor. Windsor, yeah. Ding! From yeah, an episode like, this season where Mrs. Garrett goes back to college. Yeah. I. <laughs> and, and I'm supposed to look forward to that? Really? Yes. Because okay. Charlotte has some great acting moments where she realizes, I'm too old. And oh. it's, it's yeah. Anyway. Okay. Well, and I will reserve judgment. But you know me, I'm not that judgy anyway. Uh, so, uh, Matthew, yeah. it's your job as my guest to give the one to two sentence TV guide synopsis of this episode before we begin microscopically dissecting it. All right, it's pretty simple. This week on the Facts of Life, the girls reminisce about the summer of 84. I mean, Beautiful. Nothing, I can't come up with something funny for it. Like, you know what I mean? No, but there is no. I mean, is. they couldn't come up with something funny to put in the episode, so why should you <laughs> have to... Um, I, I hmm? agree to disagree. What? <laughs> there are some classic right. lines in this episode. Okay, maybe, maybe, we'll see. But we come back, uh, I'm sorry, but we start the episode in the living room. We actually don't ever see Edna's edibles in this. We are only in the living room and then we cut away to our clips. Um, 
And the girls are unpacking from the summer. So summer vacation is over. It is the beginning of a new school year. Edna's Edibles has somehow miraculously uh, survived the summer, going from a staff of five people to a staff of one. But remember, they are in a <clears throat> they are in a college town, so I would imagine the summer is their off season. Mm. Okay. Because I also have questions now that we're exploring the house more in this season. I have yeah. questions like, what the fuck building is this and where is it? Because oh. it's a business and you see a business across the street, like in the, the painted flat. But yeah. it's a house clearly the size of a of a house. <laughs> of a hotel. I mean, like it's. But like, it's I'm like, huge. where is this business and what is this business? Like. It's weird. <laughs> anyway. And what is the architecture yeah. of it? Like, you know, trying to take the Brady Bunch house yeah. and make sense of... Or the Golden uh, Girls house. It laid out? Like, you watch the oh, Golden Girls house. Yeah. Like, why did they pick a house with a giant garage on it? Um, <laughs> but, yeah, they never... There's never once an establishing shot of the outside of this fucking mammoth building that they live and work in. Yet. That will come. That comes later in season seven, where we get those exterior uh, shots and we get the cheesy synthesizer music when they begin the episode. I'll have to rewatch season seven. Oh yeah, look for some. Okay, I'm happy to see it. That's when the aesthetic changes. That's when the font changes. That's where I mean, season seven is a clear shift. I mean, in artistically, aesthetically, everything. Season seven is so different. They figured they couldn't top season six, so. Is, is that yeah, it? Yeah, they decided to change the whole thing. Okay, so yeah. we start with the classic goddamn joke that has honestly become more prevalent on this show than Blair saying, I've had another one of my brilliant ideas. Mm-hmm. We've seen this joke more than we've seen her say her catchphrase. Mm-hmm. And it's her carrying True. 87 fucking pieces of luggage and talking oh, yes. about her shoes and stuff. I'm not mad at it. I'm just pointing it out. Yeah, I'm the same way. It it has been done quite a bit. It is, in my book, it is a little bit comedy evergreen, the rich person with too much luggage. Well, I, and her delivery of the lines that she's doing. She's like, anybody yeah. going to help me with my shoes? No. And I give full <laughs> yeah. credit to the wonderful and gorgeous and talented Lisa Welchel for making it work every goddamn time. She does. Absolutely. Now, um, we have not discussed the appearance of these women. We've already seen Mrs. Garrett and Joe before Blair descends the stairs with her luggage. Uh, Mrs. Garrett's hair, a little bit redder, and I love it. I had already said season five was my favorite Mrs. Garrett hair season. I think season six, in this respect, may just top season five. Because I think the brighter the red, the more Lucy the red works for me. That... That brownish, dirty, dishwater, shit red color that she had in season four, Yikes. season season three and four. No. Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. Does not work for me. Mm. Um, but Joe, this is a big deal. Yeah. Joe's hair is down. And there it shall remain for the duration of the, of the TV show from now to the end of season nine. The ponytail is gone and we never, ever have a Joe ponytail. Nope from here going forward do we dun, 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 dun. she's a woman w-o-m-y-n mm-hmm. huh what say no. it again uh 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, it is down. And I have to say, this is my favorite Joe hairstyle because it's her high school USA hair. I love it. I think it's good because it's full, but not too full, softens the edges, frames the face. And we don't even get halfway through the season before she cuts it a little bit shorter. And then she looks like a, a goddamn softball coach. And then next year we get the mullet in the beginning of the awful mullets. And then the horse mane in season nine. Which I love. Uh, Ugh. Come on. It's like blow, I mean, blow dry that shit out. Uh, Find a flat iron. Make it look like it just, ugh, it looks so ratty and teased and unkempt. But we agree she looks good this season. She looks great. Yep. And particularly right here, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so then uh, Blair goes out to put her luggage in the carport, uh, in the garage rather. And Natalie and Tootie come down. And uh, Natalie. Got a little bit of a perm going on. Yeah. Her same highlighted hair, just a little bit bigger. Perms in 84 were all the rage because it was all about size, uh, elevation, body, wingspan. That was such a big thing. And there was no better way to get your hair to be big than to have it pre-permed. Yeah. And uh, and it looks good. It's a nice, nice look for her. Still highlighted. And it's still before hairspray became a thing. Like it's... I like that women's hair moves like that'll stop next season. They get Oh yeah, that's right. It does. Yeah. So Natalie is complaining about one of her school teachers. Uh, there is an interaction between her and Tootie. Tootie looks really good. She doesn't have that flip hairstyle. It's like the bowl cut with the flip. She has a more mature and by mature, I mean, you know, 40 year old. Mm-hmm. Shorter on the sides, hairstyle, little shorter on the sides, longer in the back, little, little mullet starting. But uh, I think it makes her look nice. I think it's attractive and it is uh, a little more mature for Miss Kim Fields. As she would like to be called now Dorothy. Yeah, she asked him to call her Dorothy, which is like, really? Um, So then we have the weirdest exchange where it's a little piece of it was cut from syndication Joe says, dinner smells delicious. I've been dying for your cooking all summer, Mrs. Garrett. And then that's interrupted by Tootie and Natalie coming down the stairs. Well, the rest of that little scene is um, Mrs. Garrett says, I made your favorite. And Joe says, spaghetti? Whose favorite is spaghetti? I know. Thank you. What the shit? Like, she really? She couldn't have been like, oh, your quiche or like something that... I don't know, but yeah, you're you're buff bourguignon. I mean, you went to all kidding? the trouble, Mrs. Garrett, to boil pasta for me. Shut <laughs> up. But then Mrs. Garrett corrects her and says, "No, pot roast." Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Pot, <laughs> pot roast at Edna's at edibles. edibles. You're welcome. And Joe says, "Is that my favorite?" And clearly it's not. And she says, well, I guess I can't wait. And you feel like they wished there had been a laugh there. And there's not. But let us go back to the beginning of this conversation, Matthew. Okay. Joe's line that introduces this terrible payoff of a non-joke is, Mrs. Garrett, dinner smells delicious. I've been dying for your cooking all summer. So she smells the food cooking, 
and yet is incapable of differentiating what spaghetti smells like versus what pot roast smells like. Am I out of my goddamn... Have I taken crazy pills? The fact that that's what you're hung up on... (laughs) Oh, it gets worse. But, I mean, yeah, it did run through my head. Like, she hasn't been anywhere near the kitchen to see what's cooking or or anything. Yeah. And, again, I was overtaken with whose fucking favorite is spaghetti. (laughs) Even if she said spaghetti and meatballs, maybe you could mistake the smell of, you know, because you you pan fry your, your meatballs. Giggity. Uh, but this, the idea is that there's the smell of beef in the air. Beef with, you know, brown gravy and carrots and potatoes. That's that's not what you smell when you smell spaghetti. Clearly, Joe is not used to the smell of meat in the room. <laughs> now, had it been fish... <laughs> you said it. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> Oh, dear. So then, um, and I will, uh, as I continue, there there are some more little clips that are missing from the Daily Motion slash syndication version. But uh, there are a lot of just little trims. The transitions are a little faster. The fading in and out of commercials faster. They make a lot of little itty-bitty trims. Mm-hmm. So with all of the happenings and the goings-on, the idea that we're moving back in, it's the beginning of a new school year, Joe comes out with a... You guys, you never change. And the others are like, what? And Joe says, every year, it's always the same. Blair gripes about the closet space. Natalie gripes about her teachers. Tootie asks us to call her by her name. And Mrs. Garrett says, leave me out of it. (laughs) Exactly. Thank you. Uh, So, uh, okay, need to pause again. Every year, it's always the same. All the years we've been living here at Edna's Edibles, because we've been living here for technically less than one. Every year when we come back to school to live here, like we have never fucking done before. And in fact, the one episode where they do show our first day of school, we are in different places. It's season four. Five, when they're trying to get back into like <clears throat> it's Blair's moved into the dorm and Joe is sleeping on her floor so yeah they've yeah. never done this before <laughs> no there is I mean you could argue and get even more microscopic and say well yeah Natalie must complain about her teachers every year and Tootie maybe asks them to call her Dorothy their excuse was we tried and you didn't answer but but it's like the, I think Blair gripes about the closet space yeah. Not about where sh- where to keep all her clothes yeah. type of a thing. It's like, no, no, there's a definite sense that this is what we go through here in this place every time we do this. Yeah. And it's like, you have never done this before. How goddamn dare you, Linda Marsh and Margie Peters. It just feels like because it's been so good there, it just feels like we want to pretend it's been forever. Has it? Yep. Okay. Um, so the excuse for that uh, that Natalie puts forth is that, well, it's, you know, this is about our friendship being steady and steadfast with no surprises. Um, no, it's not Natalie who says that. Who says that? Blair? Or Tootie or something? Somebody anyway. says that. 
somebody says that because, but it's not Natalie because Natalie's the one that comes back with, uh, oh yeah, no surprises. Yeah, it's Tootie that says it because once she says no surprises, Tootie turns her back on the whole group. Oh yeah, like you do. And then Natalie is like, yeah, no surprises. And it's like, wait, what, what? What is she talking about? So now this is where we begin the first of four <laughs> deeply unsatisfying vignette slash flashbacks. How dare you? <laughs> Ah, it's going to be a point-counterpoint, David, you ignorant slut. (laughs) (laughs) I will tell you, maybe not on this one, but, or maybe not on Natalie's, but why Joe and Blair's are both completely satisfying. Okay, we'll talk about it. Yes. So the first story here is about a week that Natalie's mother sent Tootie and Natalie to some sort of a resort on Cape Cod to stay for a week. So this doesn't interfere with Natalie going to Truman Capote's riding camp, which we know happened. That is canon. Uh, So the setup here is that, you know, yeah, no surprises. Well, what Natalie's talking about is that a couple of cute busboys had asked them to go bowling. And when Natalie goes to collect Tootie to go on this date... She doesn't find Tootie. She finds Dorothy, which is Tootie in this red grown-up dress in high heels, her hair done up, uh, her face painted with makeup, and acting poorly, I will add. This is where we get the Kim Field School of how to act like an adult, uh, an adult actress. If you remember yeah. from the year 2000, yes, it's a lot you- like that. Yeah, you read my mind. She's sort of extending and talking all, oh, hello, Natalie. I'm so glad you made it. Natalie's like, what the fuck is going on here? And she's talking to a dude. Who this man, is creepy AF. Uh, yeah, his name is Bill Simpson. That's the character. The actor's name is Bruce Solomon. And uh, I would say he looks like the unattractive son of Tony Bennett. Okay. He looks like Tony Bennett, only not nearly as attractive as Tony Bennett. And I don't really consider Tony Bennett to be that much of a piece of meat, you know. Uh, yeah, n- Not even now in, in his 90s or 100s. Or, is he still alive? No. He died recently then. I'm not going to answer because you're just going to look it up anyway. <laughs> Echo, when did Tony Bennett die? As far as I know. Tony Bennett is alive. Oh, oh, really? Did I'm sorry. Did I doubt you, Matthew? No, what I'm doing now, David, is just answering randomly whether I know the answer <laughs> or not, because it doesn't matter. <laughs> if I had said yes, he's still alive, oh, you still no, would have no. been like, Echo. you are backpedaling. You are back fucking. No, I'm pedaling. saying I didn't How know, so I just answered. <laughs> Because I knew it didn't matter. Because you knew you'd get the actual answer from me. That's fine. Whatever. That's okay. If I had said, um, yes, Tony Bennett is still alive, we we would have had just the exact same thing would have just happened. But I would have said, how old is he? I would have, I would have, that, I, then it would have, it, literally, that's what it would have been. Neither of them, they have nothing to do with you. Um, the conversation is so, ugh. 
She's saying, oh, a woman has to be ready for new experiences, and believe me, I'm ready. And Natalie's like, what in holy fuckdom are you doing? And who is this guy? And why are you dressed like that? And why are you acting like that? And so Tootie pulls Natalie aside and says, you're embarrassing me. If you blow this for me, you're dead meat, Yeah, is the line. It's like, holy shit. Well, then uh, he comes back and he says, well, Dorothy, I just want to say you are very appealing and I do want a young girl. Yeah. And Natalie is like, what? You want a kind of a sicko, are you? What is going on with this guy? And then Tootie looks back at her and through gritted teeth with braces on them, I will add, says he is a casting director. Again, it's like watching somebody lie on a sitcom. I don't need to, Uh. I don't need to see. Yeah, 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 that's what's going to happen. Uh-huh. I don't. Totally. I don't need to see the the, the the level of acting that Kim Fields gave me. No. And here's the thing. She had... This is just bad writing. She pulled Natalie aside already, and she managed to get out the sentence. Uh, You're embarrassing me. You blow this for me and you're dead meat. But she couldn't also say, he's a casting agent. That's what this whole thing is about, because clearly I am reading the room and can see you're confused. It's like, Jesus, fuck, come on. But um, he says you're and, very and appealing, is, but literally two seconds later goes, we're going in a different direction. Yeah, what do- because you're too old. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're not reading young enough. We need a younger girl for this part. And it's like, what? What a backfire. Wop, 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 wop. But the fact is that they could have written that little tag of a scene, the, the, the end of that scene, just with Natalie trying to play along, but throwing in a few. Uh, throwing in a few quips or things, you know. So you say you have a lot of experience. Oh, yes. And she's like, well, maybe not as much as you think. That type of stuff. That It's not like they had to fill space, though the writing might betray that statement. Yeah. So what we just did uh, on TV Talkaholics, on the Patreon page, we just did uh, a synopsis of the Different Strokes episode where Dana Plato dressed up like an older woman. Dana Plato's 15 in the in the show and dressing up and goes out on a date with a 25 year old and it was so reminiscent of that because uh, at this point kim fields is 15 years old and tootie is 16 there's a one-year age difference and uh it's the same thing where 15 that is just that age where uh, you know a girl can go either way you dress her down she looks like a child or a teenager but dress her up Many of them could pass for fully grown 20-year-old women. Yeah. And and Matthew, did, did I just talk about the ages of the girls? You sure did. Gee, you know what that means. We have to stop and take a moment to discuss. <laughs> it's the age of the cast. <clears throat> for this entire season, season six, Charlotte Ray is 58 years old. Mrs. Garrett, we don't know how old they presume Mrs. Garrett to be because uh, we, uh, the only implication of Mrs. Garrett's age was in season four when she was dating a 70-year-old. They implied that he was old enough to be her dad, mm-hmm. which is like, mm, that would put her uh, literally a decade younger 
than Charlotte Ray. So that would put Charlotte Ray only in her late 40s. That would make her younger than me, and I don't think so. <laughs> Lisa Welchel is 21. Blair Warner is 20, still playing one year younger. Nancy McKeon is 18. Joe is 20. So Nancy McKeon, still playing two years older. Mindy Cohn is 18. Natalie is 17. She's playing one year younger. At one time, those numbers did match. But if you recall, what was the term that Maria Flores used uh, in her show? I, I, I think I had a I think I had a shit conniption in season four for the two times it became apparent that they had de-aged Natalie and Tootie by a year. So Natalie is 17 right now. And Kim Fields is 15. Tootie is 16, also having been de-aged a year along with Natalie. Blair and Joe are now college sophomores in their second year. Natalie is a high school senior. So this is the year Natalie graduates. And Tootie is a high school junior. Are you mocking me? I think patronizing is more <laughs> than mocking. We haven't even gotten into the deep dive, girl. We have not even, I have not even begun to dove. So that story literally ends with, like you said, he says, we're going in another direction because we want someone younger and you're clearly too old. Oh no, backfire. Yeah. So then the next story we're told is Natalie's story. And it is so beyond upsetting, <laughs> egregious, uh, extraneous, mm -hmm. pointless, mm -hmm. senseless, mm. dismissible. Mm. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm, at, I, I'm officially out of words to tell you how horrible this little vignette is. Well, never mind the fact that, again... It's 1984. Those vaudevillian writers are writing as if in 1984, places like the Poconos were thriving and still a thing. It just, it wasn't really yeah. anymore. But um, we get to see Chunk from Goonies. <laughs> yes. Tootie's story to retaliate for Natalie telling her story is that basically... While we were also on this vacation, this little fucking shit turd of an asshole child terrorized Natalie. He mm -hmm. just kept poking at her and playing practical jokes on her. And, and at one point, while Natalie is bent over, <laughs> he quote unquote bumps into her. But it's a full on pelvic thrust into her ass. <laughs> and this is a little boy named Seymour. And it is played by actor Jeff Cohen. Mm -hmm. The next year, we would be introduced to him as Chunk in the Goonies. <laughs> I believe this part is what got him the role. Uh, mm -hmm. uh -huh. Spielberg saw it. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes. Yeah. But we're so, going to be nice about Chunk because I don't know if you've seen a picture, that picture that they just did of all the Goonies. He he's is, cute. He's the hot one. He is so cute now. He's a he's an attorney. But basically, the story, it, you just watch him terrorize Natalie while they try to play a game of cards. And he pushes her to the breaking point. Um, by... David, those two 15-year-olds are playing Jen. Were they playing gin? Thank I thought you. they were playing a board game. No, they're playing gin. I don't know how many times I've gone up to a 15-year-old and been like, hey, gin, anyone? 
and have them think I'm talking about a card game. Yeah, exactly. Not that I've ever gone up to a group of 15 year olds and said, gin anyone. That has never happened. Yeah, certainly not outside of a 7-Eleven or uh, an ABC liquor store. That has not happened. Your Honor, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. here's the thing. You have two comedic giants, David. Chunk and Natalie. (laughs) Acting out. Interesting interesting choice of the word giants, Matthew, but continue. No, I'm saying you have, like, you might as well put Robin Williams and Jerry Seinfeld into a room together, David. Because mm-hmm. it was electricity in a bottle and they didn't know what they were going to get. You can't straight jacket chunk. No. You, you gotta let him go. You gotta let yeah. him go. And they did. <laughs> and they did. And what happened was television mediocrity at its best. I think. Yes. It was so unsatisfying. And it was just literally... He, the, the last straw is he pulls out the chair before she sits in it. So she falls on the floor. Then she starts choking him. You didn't believe I wish they that had... that was unchoreographed and she had no idea that was going to happen. It looked so organic, Matthew. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. And then basically she starts to choke him and it's like, good. I hope he fucking dies because this kid is so annoying. And then Tootie... Uh, breaks them up and then she chases him out and Tootie chases after and that's the end of the story. That's the end of it. It's like, oh! <laughs> Not without Kim Fields saying, you are the adult. Act like the adult. And Natalie says, because they're talking about playing air hockey. They're like, we're done with gin, now we're going to play air hockey. Yeah. Kim Fields reminds her, you are the adult. Act like the adult in this situation with Chunk. And Natalie says... A Matthew Arder lexicon. I want to be blue. Because <laughs> she's choosing what care, what color she's oh, going to be in the game. So okay. anytime there's a game to be played, <laughs> the way I choose my thing is, I want to be blue. <laughs> if, <laughs> if you and I are playing Trivial Pursuit to this day, David, and I had to choose my color, I will say, I want to be blue. <laughs> Just like, Because of Natalie. Yes. No way. Yes, it's true. That's awesome. It's true. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then we come back from this story. and That story uh, I just told you was as satisfying as the flashback with Natalie and John. Infinitely more. Infinitely more. But the deal is, we come back from this story, Mm -hmm. and Mrs. Garrett, imparting her wisdom, says, Natalie, don't you realize he had a crush on you? Boys that age have trouble how to express their feelings. And this is where Matthew took issue. Matthew took issue. Continue. Because... This is the exact bullshit that women have had to listen to and believe oh. that a man being mean to them means he likes you. Yeah. If he hits you, he likes you. Yeah. Fuck off. That is why we are in this toxic masculinity world that we live in is because of fucking shit like that. Charlotte Ray. Wow. So shut up. Natalie had every right to fucking turn and choke that motherfucker. I will not disagree with any of that. And I had not really thought of it that way, but you're so 
fucking right. Come on, girl power. Fuck boys. So in response to her saying that, we get this magnificently natural dialogue that transitions into the next story, where after Mrs. Garrett says that, Blair says, wow, Mrs. Garrett, you really understand what makes young boys tick. And Joe says, and old ones. And Mrs. Garrett says, Joe! And... Very quickly, you you okay? Yeah, I just love your gosh, Charlotte, <laughs> so much. I think that's what might keep us together. Okay, that's okay. Over the over the not believing a word I say, <laughs> or it'll become one of those things where people look at us as a couple and they're like, "Ugh, that's one of their things," and it's something that I bitched about for twenty years that we've been together. I'm like, watch. It, David, I think Lisa Welch is dead. What? What? Yeah. And then you'll have to pull out your phone. And he's going to have to pull out his phone and verify. And it'll be one of those things that people like about us as a couple. Go ahead. Okay. Wow. You've, you've given that a little bit of a thought there. Um... No more thought than you gave to fucking happens every year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So after Mrs. Garrett says, Joe, the others are like, what happened? What? What is this, Mrs. Garrett? What? And then Joe comes out with, well, you know, Mrs. Garrett and I spent a weekend together in Atlantic City. Like you do. Poor Joe. How sad is Joe? What? Why do you say that? She had to spend a week with Mrs. Garrett. Here, I'm just going to hang out with my 60-year-old. <laughs> school marm and uh, the other thing is that like she she's poor she is poor as dirt this was her job if if joe had said i'm gonna stay in peekskill over the summer and help mrs garrett run the store while you bitches abandon us that would make sense but it's like Joe was at school on a scholarship so the assumption is she would have had to have gotten some type of a job over the summer anyway so, but, you know, no, you can, you know, you can take a week off, go to Atlantic City. If Mrs. Garrett is footing the bill, which they imply later, it's like, so why did she call Joe and nobody else to get, it's like, Joe, can we get away from these fucking bitches and not have to, you know. But um, the, the response is, Joe says, well, after that weekend, I have a new respect for Mrs. Garrett as yeah. a woman. Dum dum dum. Yeah, it makes it sound like Joe and Mrs. Garrett went to Pound Town. No, <laughs> no. I had no idea Mrs. Garrett could eat a pussy. No, the way no, she can. stop. <sighs> Here I've been going after Blair's blonde bush. I should have been going to Carrot Town. <clears throat> But that's because she went to her hairstylist and said, I need an extra batch to match the snatch. <laughs> David! It's probably gray an and wiry ex- down there. An extra batch to match the snatch. You've never heard that before. No! You've never heard the, the woman going into the hairstylist. No! Well, you're welcome. <laughs> So anyways, she gets to my favorite line of the thing. 
Mrs. Garrett turns and they're begging her to tell the story. And she goes, I don't want to make you jealous. Mm. Yeah. Because what could make a group of teenage girls more jealous than hearing about Charlotte Ray getting a train run on her? <laughs> I let Gomez Adams lay the pipe in me. It's like, what? But 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 we're getting ahead of ourselves, Matthew, because this is actually a little bit of a cliffhanger where they go to commercial. And there you have it. That was Matthew Arder. And yes, that is a terrible cliffhanger. I hate to do that to you, but I promise you, you've heard enough of my voice this week. I I know I have. So next week, we're going to be continuing and completing the synopsis of Season 6, Part 1, The Summer of 84. If you haven't watched the show yet, what a perfect time to catch up. The show is available at dailymotion.com or... As mentioned in the show, I highly recommend creating a Roku channel login. It is free, and with that, you have access to seasons 5, 6, and 7, and they are all the full-length broadcast versions, not the edited-down, chopped-up syndication versions. So, that's it, guys. Thank you, as always, for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle Face the Facts Pod. You can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash face the facts pod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs> <laughs>